Welcome to the On The Yard Podcast, powered by the R.W. Jones Agency. I'm your host, Ashley Northington, and I'm here to connect you with the trends, news, and events happening across historically black and minority-serving colleges and universities. Tune in each week where we will give you a dose of HBCU leadership and culture, one episode at a time. Hello, hello, and welcome to On The Yard. I'm your host, Ashley Northington, and I'm so glad you decided to tune in. Today, we will talk about the HBCU role in grappling with COVID-19. We'll hear from Southern University Vice President for External Affairs and University Relations, Dr. Robin Merritt, who will share how Southern University stepped up to educate the community, as well as how it protected students and faculty. Welcome, Dr. Merritt. Thank you, Ashley. I really appreciate you having me here this morning. Yes. So um, I'm so glad you could talk with us. Um, I'd love for you to give us a little bit more context about who you are um, and how you decided to get into higher education and, and, and what keeps you here. I like to do this to give our listeners a little bit more about the folks we're speaking to. Yes, indeed. So Ashley, I'm Robin Merrick. Of course, you said that I serve as Vice President for External Affairs and University Relations for the entirety of the Southern University System, which is the nation's only historically Black university system. So we're very proud uh, of that fact uh, that we service Louisiana across three major cities. That's Baton Rouge, New Orleans, and Shreveport. And of course, we have our Ag Center and our Law Center that are also located in, on the Baton Rouge landmass. And so uh, I have the opportunity to provide oversight for several areas at the university that include alumni, communications, or special events, our Southern University Museums of Art, which we have locations in Baton Rouge and Shreveport, and also government relations. So uh, it's never a dull moment. It's always something moving and popping uh, at Southern University, and I'm very grateful to uh, have this opportunity to serve. And so how I, I got into higher education is, is quite interesting, I think, because uh, I grew up very close to the campus uh, in Baton Rouge, right there in the community of Scotlandville. And I'd always uh, thought that I would be off somewhere doing something else, uh, but all the roads kept leading back to Baton Rouge and specifically to Southern University. I got my initial start in auditing, believe it or not, uh, with the State Auditor's Office. I have an undergraduate degree in business, a master's in public administration, and uh, a PhD in public policy. But uh, it started with me moving from state government back to the university uh, quite by just a, ch a chance conversation with uh, a gentleman who ended up becoming our president uh, a few years later. So that chance conversation led back to graduate school at the university where I was off, actually headed all out of state. And uh, little did I know he would later become president of the institution. And uh, several of us who were his student workers ended up uh, working in his administration and his tenure uh, while he was president for eight years at, at Southern. Uh, so I started in policy development um, and from there went to uh, public affairs for the university and then alumni affairs, which was probably the most interesting job ever uh, to work with any university's alumni is, is, is quite rewarding uh, to be able to not only um, 
work with the current students, but those who have uh, gone through the university and come back and, and the stories that they tell. So we, I used to say that we, we dealt with uh, Southern Knights from 19 to 90 um, in terms of the age range. And it was uh, just amazing to have that, those different forms of communication uh, between those different age groups and generations uh, certainly taught me a lot in that process. Uh, but that led from um, alumni to uh, chief of staff in our president's office and then from there on to vice president for uh, external affairs and university relations. So it's, it's been quite a journey, uh, 26 years at the university and uh, seems like yesterday. <laughs> Every day seems like yesterday. <laughs> Wonderful, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, so I, I'd love to talk a little bit more about um, the role sort of HBCUs have played um, during the pandemic. Um, and I, I'd just like to hear from you, from your vantage point, um, how have you seen HBCUs uh, step up and, and serve the community? And then we'll back into what Southern has done specifically. You know, um, as we've had an opportunity over this last year and, and, and several months to just really observe what was going on in the entirety of the higher education community as it relates to the pandemic. Um, I think everyone listening, and if you're very familiar with higher education in general, we are planners. Um, HBCUs, predominantly white institutions, all of us, we, we, we plan. And so this caught us off guard as it caught everyone off guard. But I think in the process of our planning, we've learned that you, you got to plan, but you also need to plan to pivot. Uh, and, and that's the one word that we, we heard and we saw uh, a great deal last March, uh, March of 2020, that is. Uh, we, we pivoted very quickly to say, okay, we have to continue doing the work that we do, uh, but how do we do that? And we're going to you know take it to this virtual level. We are higher education. We are HBCUs. And, you know, we've dealt with adversity before. We've dealt with uncertainty before. Let's just figure it out and see how we're going to step up and continue to serve our students primarily. And then, of course, uh, our faculty and staff along the way. So in that pivot, we, you know, went to the online delivery model uh, for the remainder of that 2020 uh, spring semester. And as we were moving uh, the number of meetings that we had, uh, the, the level of communication, I would argue, probably increased a great deal for us because we were things were changing uh, moment by moment, and we were saying let let's let's meet constantly, let's figure out how we're going to do things, how we're going to respond to what we're hearing from the national level, what we're hearing from our state governments. Uh, so you you know we were able to do that in such a way that I think we brought a level of comfort to our students. Uh, and especially to their parents uh, when we were moving very quickly during that spring semester and on into the summer. And ironically, what we saw was uh, a partnership with our students and our parents uh, because everyone, you know, we, we were hearing that tagline, look, we're all in this together. But it really turned into, uh, you know, students wanting to go to school. They wanted to continue their education. They were doing whatever it took to, to, to remain their parents the same despite whatever challenges they were facing in, in their respective homes, you know, education was still tops for them. And so we saw, uh, we didn't really see a dip in enrollment, so to speak. We, we saw quite the eagerness of, of parents and students wanting to continue 
uh, to pursue their education. So, you know, we stepped up and responded to that. Uh, you know, we, thanks to uh, federal support um, that we were able to receive, that all universities were able to receive, and then HBCUs uh, being able to uh, participate a little greater with that because of our Title III dollars, uh, doing a little bit more for our students because our students, we've already demonstrated, have a greater need in many respects. So that greater need um, allowed us to really support them more uh, to say, hey, let's get you computers, let, let's get you internet access. If you're not here, you know, how can we assist? And, and then also, Ashley, uh, my office had an opportunity to work um, very closely with uh, partners, I, I should say. And I think that was happening at HBCUs in general. We had community partners, our Greek letter organizations, our churches, you know, everyone just really stepped up and, and, the, and the boundaries, so to speak, drop that simply said, look, everybody's going to help everybody. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter who you are. We're just going to help. If we can, we're, we're going to help. And so we saw, um, we saw a great deal of that as well. So uh, short answer to, to the question after I went the long route, um, short answer is we did do a great deal and we, we started to reach out uh, with resources to, well, we reached out toward resources that we may not have considered in the past, um, sort of an all-hands-on-deck approach, if you will, mm-hmm. to, um, to help our students. Can you talk a little bit more about the collaboration with community partners? I love to learn a little bit more about how Southern University and perhaps other HBCUs in the area, how you saw um, those institutions uh, supporting the larger community and not just the campuses? You know, that's a really um, great question, Ashley, but more importantly, because HBCUs are so intertwined into their respective communities. Anywhere you go in this country, and we've traveled to a number of HBCUs in in the surrounding communities, there's really a blurred line between the school and the community. It's one. And so in that relationship, there are many people, uh, the community persons, they, they in so many ways own the school. Like that's my college, whether they attended the university or not, whether they're graduates, whether they work there, it's, it's, that, it's that familiar uh, connection that says, hey, we're family. Mm-hmm. And, and in that connection, um, there was an inherent level of support that said, we're, we're going to help our communities. And so we did see that across the country that um, whatever we were doing, perhaps for students and faculty and staff, really spilled over into the community um, because we were one. Uh, We saw a number of things as it relates to just the COVID response in general. Uh, We saw the testing that was taking place and universities opening their doors to make that happen. Um, We saw food drives taking place. Universities, once again, HBCUs, once again, opening their doors to make that happen. Um, And I'm saying these things in general, but I could also say them specifically for Southern University and our campuses because these are the things that we did and we are, in fact, continuing to do to this day. As a matter of fact, we had um, an event on last weekend where we were doing a mass vaccination um, for for the Baton Rouge community, uh, opening our doors for for that as well. Mm -hmm. What responsibilities or, or activities do you see um, HBCUs and perhaps Southern University specifically, what actions do you see them taking forward 
uh, you know, beyond, you know, this current moment right now? So like, you know, what shifts are likely to become the norm post pandemic? So I'll go back just a second on that, uh, Ashley. And it's, you know, Southern in March of this year, we launched a campaign called Don't Wait, Vaccinate. And it was in response to here in Louisiana, the low numbers of African-Americans and minorities in general uh, participating in in the vaccination uh, for COVID-19. And we felt a need to step up as a a large voice in Louisiana for the African-American community and a trusted voice in in Louisiana for the African-American community to say, hey, we're going to lead this effort. And it really came on the heels of some of the, the COVID response we had done uh, previously. Uh, we, we immediately in March of 2020 opened up our campus sites to be testing facilities uh, where we were doing testing seven days a week in partnership with our state health department and in partnership with our uh, Louisiana National Guard, uh, just providing that space and, and encouraging testing because as you recall in the beginning, it was well, you know, we've got a test because we don't know where this is or how this this virus is spreading, how quickly it's going. But we know if we do more testing, we can get get it under control because we know where it is. So the university led that effort, not only for our students, but for the community as a whole. So it was a two-part effort. Our students were one phase of that. Uh, Then the community outreach was, in fact, another phase of that. Then from that, uh, Ashley, we moved into just really meeting the needs of the community with food drives. As I said earlier, uh, we held the largest food drive in our uh, our parish, which many folks will refer to as a county, but in our parish um, here in Baton Rouge, uh, we we held the largest food drive that they they ever held because we had the facility and the space to do that. Um, We were able to help about 1,800 families in the course of one morning to... uh, provide food. And then beyond that, it was it moved into back-to-school efforts with uh, backpacks. Our athletic program got involved with that and the partnerships that we had across, uh, across the city to just really make ourselves available. So fast forward to this spring uh, with our Don't Wait Vaccinate campaign, we were able to host a large number of uh, mass vaccination events, both at our facility and even statewide. On April, uh, in April of this year, April 10th specifically, we held a mass vaccination day across Louisiana under the name of Southern University. And we were excited because that day alone yielded a little over a thousand vaccinations. Uh, we were hoping for more, but we said, hey, this is a thousand more than we had the day before. And, and, and we considered that uh, a successful effort. Uh, from there, we've had uh, webinars and uh, events where we've had our voices out in the community, our, our researchers and our faculty out in the community really sharing uh, information about the vaccine itself, about COVID-19. And so it's been ongoing. So to speak about what we're going to do going forward, uh, we don't see this Don't Wait Vaccinate campaign going away anytime soon because we're still not at the percentage level that we would like to see in Louisiana. Uh, for all Louisianians, but specifically for the minority community as well, the numbers are not where we would like to have them. And we know that President Biden has shared his thoughts regarding the goal for the country in terms of uh, the 4th of July and what we'd like to see. 
And we see ourselves as part of that, that we've got to get our numbers up here in Louisiana. So our next shift, Ashley, is to move into the rural areas of the state. Um, we're looking to do that over the course of the month of, of June. Uh, we've got an extension program uh, for Southern University, which is um, our, our ag and it's our land grant function. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with land grant, uh, we're an 1890 land grant institution. Uh, and so that puts us um, in a specific outreach mode in about half of the state's parishes. And so most of Louisiana is in fact rural. It is not um, urban. The urban centers are where our, our campuses are, but we have a few other urban centers. But for the most part, the state is pretty rural. So we're reaching out into those rural areas through our ag program, through our nursing program as well. We have a mobile unit in the ag program that can move around. Uh, we're partnering with our alumni uh, organization, which we've got about 80 chapters across the country to help carry this message of don't wait, vaccinate. Um, about 40 of those, 50 or so of those chapters are actually here in Louisiana. Uh, so they're helping us. We've partnered with churches, our Greek letter organizations, our civil rights organizations, uh, some other civic organizations as well have partnered with us to really carry this message because we've recognized that it has to be a trusted voice. It has to be someone you know that says, hey, you need to get the vaccine. I got it. It's safe. Uh, and we're not forcing it. It's, it's encouraging. Uh, but it's encouraging with the facts and the science. So um, that is something that we're committed to going forward um, that is going to be a part of, of who we are. Uh, we're also going to reach out into our high school units um, across the state, um, starting also with our ag center, I'm sorry, not ag center, our lab school. Uh, we have a K through 12 unit uh, that's part of our College of Education in Baton Rouge that uh, we're going to uh, start some of our pilot work in terms of our high schools now that the age for the vaccines has been lowered to 12. Uh, so we, we were opening up a whole new phase of, of, of um, education and outreach uh, for those students and their parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's all that is. Southern University has really stepped up. That sounds incredible work, like incredible work that you all have done uh, in the community and will continue to do. So I've, you know, looked at a few news stories and a couple of studies that have indicated that HBCUs in general have fared better than other institutions in sort of uh, stopping the spread of the virus on campus. Why do you think that might be? You know, that is a good question. And we, we saw that. And I think we, um, in the early days of the, of the pandemic, the numbers of uh, African-Americans that were getting infected and that were in fact dying from this virus were staggering. I know here in Louisiana, it was, you know, it, it really was. I mean, it touched everyone. I think you, you really can't find anyone who, can, who could say that this virus has not touched my family, touched my friend base, touched my work base, something along those lines. And so I think when we saw those staggering numbers, uh, our students and our faculty and staffs all simply said, you know, we've got to do our part to curtail this. Um, because it's real and we lost, you know, staff members, we lost faculty members. Uh, so again, it, it touched home. And I think with that, that early, um, those early rates of African-American deaths really 
was heard um, by our community and we responded and took those measures to help mitigate the numbers, at least in our little worlds, where we were to say, hey, we can slow this down right here. So it, it was easy for us to start wearing the masks, social distance, move everything to virtual, you know, all those steps, we just did it. You know, we did not have an in-person graduation, you know, all the things that college is about, it just either went away for a moment or it became virtual. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, you know, it was, it was a true, it was a true shutdown, <laughs> I think. And, and I think that helped to, to slow the numbers for us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> you know, recently the CDC has updated its masks mandates guidance to say, you know, you don't need um, to wear a mask in certain areas, um, certain atmospheres, if you have been um, fully vaccinated. What kind of shifts do you think will happen on college campuses, specifically HBCU campuses, um, as a result of that updated guidance? You know, Ashley, we are having those conversations right now. Um, and, and we're involving our students in those conversations because we recognize that any policy shifts uh, that we do that are in alignment with the CDC, we want to have our student input on those on those decisions. And I think, honestly, we're, we're still a little hesitant to just say, okay, mask off, let's just go back to normal. We're not there yet. We are, we're, I think we're going to take baby steps towards that. And I'm, I'm grateful that this is happening at this time where it gives us a few months to prepare for the fall semester because the summer is a lot slower for us. We have fewer students, uh, less activity on our, our respective campuses and, 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 and even at Southern, uh, on all of our campuses for Southern, it's, it's slowing down. So it's going to give us a chance to transition from what we've been doing to what we will do going forward. And uh, we've not made getting the vaccine mandatory. I know that's happening at some schools across the country. Uh, that is happening at some private HBCUs and private schools here in Louisiana, but it is not has not happened for our public institutions yet. And that's something for us to be mindful of, that if we're not going to mandate uh, the vaccinations, that we've got to still do some of the mitigating measures, if, if that makes sense. So um, those things go hand in hand and we'll be, you know, watching how we roll that out for the fall semester. So uh, short answer, Ashley, stay tuned uh, for, for how we're going to respond to that. But, uh, but do know and be assured that we are, uh, you know, keeping close tabs on, on what's happening and even working with our other institutions because we don't want to send the mixed message. Um, that's important as well. We've got uh, LSU that's here in, in Baton Rouge along with uh, the Baton Rouge Community College. And the same is the case in, in the other cities where we've got campuses. We want to have higher ed move in tandem uh, so that it's not a confusing message out there. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I want to go back to something that you said before. You've talked a lot about, you know, making sure that these messages uh, come from a trusted voice. Has there been any um, platform or medium 
that has worked best uh, for Southern University as a way to communicate uh, these messages. You have to have, of course, the right story. You have to have the right narrator. But is there a right platform um, to share these um, messages? The communicator in me would just love to know your thoughts there. I know, and you are an amazing communicator. I'm, I'm thankful that you share with me your um, your backstory uh, in communications, uh, Ashley. But I, I will say this: um, I don't think there is one source for that. Um, now that we have multiple channels for communication, you almost have to be on all of those channels, and your message has to be shaped for that channel. So uh, one message delivered one way on radio may not resonate the same on television or or even on social media. And I bring up social media specifically because we cannot leave that out as a um, a valuable resource for getting a message out. Um, understanding too that social media can very well be a doubled-edged sword. It could be just as useful or just as detrimental as it is useful, um, but it has to be used carefully. Uh, but it is very effective um, for our younger audiences, the younger ears that we want to hear the message. And for our uh, older, I shouldn't say older, our seasoned listeners, um, we have to go a different route. You know, we've, we've worked with councils on aging. We've worked um, with our churches, our faith-based community, because, you know, every voice needs to be channeled in the right direction um, to be effective. So I would say that it's, it's not no one magic uh, pill in terms of communicating. We've just got to be very strategic and intentional about uh, the message and and how that message goes to the targeted community and what's the best one to three ways perhaps that you can get to that community. Mm -hmm. Yep, a multi-layered, multi-pronged um, approach that makes perfect sense. Um, so if you could take your, you know, your best guess, what would you think the fall will look like um, for Southern University's campuses in Shreveport, Baton Rouge, and New Orleans? So I will tell you what I hope it looks like okay. <laughs> uh, before I tell you what I, it may look like. So uh, our hope, obviously, is that we get back to as close to normal as possible. Um, anyone who knows Louisiana knows that we are a heavy, heavy, heavy football state. And so last fall, and that, I may be putting that mildly, maybe I should put a couple more heavies in there. Um, last fall to not have football for, for Southern was big. Mm -hmm. uh, we did have it this spring. We sort of had a makeup spring, um, spring football season, but it wasn't quite the same. Um, you know, we had several teams that couldn't play because of COVID protocols. So we had games that were canceled. Um, some of our fans simply just said, it just doesn't feel right to be playing in the spring. This is a fall sport. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that that's one of the biggest things I would say uh, for both our internal audiences and our external uh, fans, they just want to, you know, be able to come back and enjoy that, that spirit. Now, whether or not we get back to that is another question, because I think there's still going to be a lot of um, 
a lot of hesitancy, not just around taking the vaccine, uh, but hesitancy in terms of, am I really ready to get back out there? Mm-hmm. Uh, am I really ready to go back to things as the way they were? Because COVID isn't over. Uh, we hear that every day. Uh, we hear it from our, our governor here in Louisiana, who has weekly or bi-weekly press conferences, keeping us posted on, on the pandemic response and, any, and other things. But also we're hearing it, of course, from the CDC. It's not quite over yet. So, so the fall, I think, actually will be uh, very carefully managed. Um, we're going to still see ourselves in a hybrid approach to a number of things. So I don't think we're going to go, you know, all in. Um, you know, we did have a, a commencement, an in-person commencement exercise last fall and this spring, but we did it outdoors. Uh, we did it outdoors because we felt like we needed that was going to be the the happy spot, uh, you know, the, the happy medium, if you will. Uh, our students want it in person. Our everyone else is afraid. Like, should we go inside? Well, no, let's take it outside. So I think we're going to still see uh, a degree of caution as we proceed for for the fall, but with the aim of getting back to normal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you a tough question here. So what do you think uh, Bayou Classic will look like this fall? Will we have a Bayou Classic? We are planning to have a Bayou Classic. As a matter of fact, on Thursday of this week, uh, that was yesterday, we announced that Procter & Gamble has uh, signed on as our presenting sponsor for Bayou oh. Classic. And we planned, yes, that's, that's major for us. We're excited. Uh, so we announced that on yesterday, and uh, we expect to be back in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans on November 27th, 2021. And uh, I thought you were going to ask me, what did I expect the score to be? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, won't, I won't put you in that uh, spot, but yes, I, I'm pleased to hear about the Bayou Classic. I might see you at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Come on down. Come on down, Ashley. You're no stranger to Louisiana. Uh, and, and I think because we did have Bayou Classic, we didn't have one in 2020, but in 2021, uh, we did have the, the Shreveport uh, Bayou Classic. So we moved it to Shreveport and Independent Stadium. So it was outdoors. Um, and that was sort of that compromise as well. But the bands couldn't travel. So we did not have the marching bands there, uh, the Southwestern Athletic Conference. Uh, the conference that Southern and Grambling um, are members of uh, made a ruling early on to say that uh, we're going to do spring football, but the bands can only perform at their home sites and they can perform in the stands. There will be no field shows. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'll tell you that this 2021 Bayou Classic is going to be a major attraction because we anticipate the bands will be back. There'll be field shows there'll be all the things that we, we can get to um, that we missed out on in 2020 and even in the abbreviated version, I will say, of Bayou Classic that took place um, in April of this year, uh, where Southern was victorious in a huge way. Um, and so we, we anticipate we'll do that again this fall. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So where can community members um, get plugged in with information um, about your efforts, you know, any vaccination efforts, any communications that you uh, might have, where can they find the resources? 
So they're on our website, Ashley. It's uh, www.sus.edu forward slash vaccinate. Uh, that's where we've got the uh, don't wait vaccinate information. And as we populate that site uh, on a regular basis of, of things that are going on and where you can get resources and through our through our College of Nursing and Allied Health. Um, and I do need to give a shout out to Dean Sandra Brown. Uh, she's leading that college, but more than just leading that college, she's uh, working with another initiative that we have through our fundraising arm at the university, our Southern University System Foundation. She is uh, uh, spearheading the Black Health Initiative, which uh, we were starting just prior to the pandemic to deal with disparities in health uh, in general for the African-American community. So that that started. And in addition to that, uh, she's a busy lady, but in addition to that, she serves as uh, the co-chair of the Louisiana Health Equity Task Force uh, that our governor appointed last uh, April of 2020. Uh, so she's leading that effort specifically in response to the number of, of African-American deaths that Louisiana was experiencing behind COVID-19. So she is... Um, she in and of herself is a trusted voice, uh, but she's leading an effort uh, through our nursing program and, uh, and, and, and making some a real headway with that. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, so this is the last question. And this question is one that I always ask every guest. And it doesn't necessarily have to relate to the pandemic or COVID-19. Um, your answer doesn't have to relate to that. But my question is, what is the one thing you wish more people knew about historically black colleges and universities? Wow. Uh, the one thing I wish more people knew about historically black colleges and universities was our, is rather our contributions to this country. Um, really understanding the value of our graduates and what they bring to the table. Um, we can in part thank Vice President Harris uh, for aiding us in that way to say, hey, we have an HBCU grad who is now Vice President of the United States. That's major. Uh, we looked down into Georgia with Stacey Abrams and even again in Georgia with Keisha Lance Bottoms. Uh, and I'm not just singling out the women, they're just the ones coming to mind right now. Uh, all HBCU graduates who are, you know, on top of the, their game in, in their respective arenas. And, and they're just, that's just three that I named, but there are countless others uh, around this country and, and even uh, worldwide are making significant contributions in, in their fields of study. And I think we don't necessarily get that credit for producing that level of talent. Uh, so I think that's one of the things, uh, although there are probably many things, but that would be one of the things I would want people to know more about HBCUs. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I think we can shout out the HBCU graduates who are participating on this podcast right now. I mean, so I think... You're absolutely right. Um, the graduates are everywhere and the value they bring um, to the world is immense. And more people should uh, take notice and recognize that. That is great. <clears throat> well, 
you asked a question earlier um, and you asked about what, what keeps me in higher ed. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I answered that, but I'll just maybe close with that a little bit because uh, it goes in with the other, the last question that you asked. Uh, and that is, it's our students. Um, you know, it's our students and, and as an extension, their parents, um, because we're still hosting first-generation students at HBCUs. Uh, you know, when, an, when a first-generation student graduates, it's like the whole family graduates. You should see them at commencement. It is the most single most important day in the life of a university. It reminds us that with every student walking across that stage, that's what we're there to do. We're there to make sure that moment happens for, for them and their families. And so, you know, so many of them come to us and it's like, you know, we take them from a family situation where no one has graduated or few have maybe even attended uh, post-secondary education and we take them all the way through. And so that's what keeps you there. Every commencement, I get incredibly emotional um, because you see these students as freshmen and now you see them graduating and you see the growth, you see the change and you think, wow, we did that. You know, we, we, we contributed to that. So, so that's what keeps you there, honestly. I love that. I love that you, you said that, um, that experience, uh, rings true in my own family. So thank you for bringing that, uh, to the conversation. I think it's very important. Um, and thank you for joining us today, um, here on on the yard. Um, I hope that our listeners will tune in next week for another episode. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Merrick, for sharing your insight and your wisdom and all of the wonderful things um, that Southern University is doing to combat this deadly pandemic. Uh, Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for Ashley. I thoroughly enjoyed this. And uh, this will not be our last conversation. It may not be on a podcast, but we will talk more because you're coming to Bayou Classic this year. Okay, perfect. And thank you all for listening with us. Tune in next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of On the Yard, powered by the R.W. Jones Agency. R.W. Jones is the nation's only strategic communications and issues management firm explicitly focused on higher education, serving more than 50 colleges and universities nationwide. Check back for next week's episode of On the Yard, where we'll give you another dose of HBCU leadership and culture.